Our study of Hebrews chapter 8 has brought us to a discussion of the New Covenant. We welcome you to our study here on the Radio Bible Course. Today I'm reading from chapter 8 of Hebrews, verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second. And that, of course, refers to a second covenant, or the new covenant, which is going to be discussed in the following verses. Now, verse 8 reads, For he finds fault with them when he says, The days will come, says the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I paid no heed to them, says the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow or everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he treats the first as obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. There is much that we want to say about this new covenant and the old, but first, which old covenant is he referring to here? There was a covenant that God made with Noah, that never again would there be a flood that would wipe out all mankind. There was also the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis 15, that he would give him all the land that belonged to the Canaanite nations, from the river Euphrates to the river of Egypt. That was for him and his descendants. And it's in these latter days, and I'm referring to our generation, that this appears to be fulfilled, but only in part, of course. Now, in verse 7 and in verse 13, the writer uses the word first. He said, for if that first covenant had been faultless, was he referring to the covenant made with Noah? I don't think so. How about Abrahamic covenant? I don't think so. Because here in verse 9, he makes it clear. It's not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. So you see, that's a direct reference, a clear reference to the covenant that God made with them at Mount Sinai. And that is known as the Mosaic Covenant. And that was in effect for 1,400 years. It was a temporary arrangement. We can call it an administration because that's what the word means. It's an administration of God over his people for 14 centuries, beginning with Moses until Christ came. And Galatians 3.19 makes that very clear that the end of the Mosaic law was determined by the coming and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So that law has ended, and of course, that's what this chapter is also teaching us. If that first covenant had been faultless, 
there would have been no occasion for a second. Now, in verse 12, the writer says, I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. How can God do that? Has he changed? Doesn't he require any more sacrifices for sin? He does not, because a single sacrifice that takes away sin has been made. And Hebrews chapter 10, verse 18 declares, Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Well, who did it? Who took care of the problem? Christ did. He is the eternal sacrifice. Never again does God want anyone to sacrifice anything for the sin problem. And any attempt to do so would be a direct insult to that which Christ already provided. May I say this? Christ is your Savior. You can't make him your Savior. All you can do is believe that he is the Savior, and God desires that you do so. If Jesus had not died for future sins, he would need to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest did year after year. Now, this is something most people don't even want to think about. We often talk about how Jesus died for our sins, and the reference is to past sins. But he also died for our future sins, of course. But how can that be, since we have not yet committed sins of the future? Well, our past sins were future when Jesus died, and they are no different from our future sins. Everything was future when Jesus died, and he died, the Bible says, for our sins. And people have been preaching the gospel for almost 2,000 years, proclaiming that Jesus died for their sins. So whether your sins are future or past has nothing to do with the problem. Jesus died for all sins, for all men, for all time, and never again need he nor anyone else ever need to offer a sacrifice for sin. And to even suggest it implies that there was something wrong or deficient with his sacrifice. The people of Israel, of course, don't recognize Jesus as their Savior or the one sent by God to be the eternal sacrifice, but I think I can safely say this. Most so-called Christians don't believe it either. They are not content that Jesus died for all of their sins, and they're not rejoicing in that fact. They are still trying to do things to win God's favor. And this displeases the Father because he sent the Son to do his will, and the primary will was to die for the sins of the whole world. And not to accept that and to respect it and honor Christ's sacrifice is an insult to God. What more need God do for us? Should he send another Son to offer himself again? Well, that wouldn't do any good because most people haven't accepted the first one that he sent. And there is only one, and God is satisfied with the one sacrifice which Christ made for all men for all time. He did something that the high priest of old could not do. That high priest had to go back every year into the Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice for his own sins 
and for the sins of the people. But the writer to the Hebrews is going to tell us and has been telling us in these chapters from 7 through 10 that all sacrifices have been accomplished by the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Everything necessary has already been done. Now, all the sins of Israel and Judah have been paid for by the sacrifice of their Messiah, and God awaits their faith acceptance of that fact. It's the finished work, as Isaiah prophesied. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God isn't asking you to suffer for your sins and to die for your sins. Someone already suffered for you and died for you. And the holy law of God demanded only one payment. And the law got what it demanded. Christ died for sinners. But how does a new covenant addressed to Israel and Judah benefit us Gentiles? We are not the covenant people. We were not given the law, the covenants, the worship, the sonship, the glory, and the promises, as Romans 9.4 declares. Well, Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 11, enlightens us on this subject, and we should take comfort in it, even though we are not the covenant people of God. Ephesians 2.11 says, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, Remember that you were, at that time, separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one. And the groups are Jews and Gentiles. And continuing, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you, that is, you Gentiles, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and are of God's household having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Now, in view of that declaration to the Ephesian Christians, what is our hope? Our hope as Gentiles is this, But now in Christ Jesus we, who once were far off, have been brought near in the blood of Christ. 
And of course, that's a reference to the crucifixion of Jesus for our sins. Now, we aren't physical descendants of Abraham, but we have been made children of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. That's God's plan. We, like Isaac, are children of promise. That's good news. God wants to save us, and he has done everything to accomplish it. We are children of Abraham, and we are children of promise. Yet, we are not natural branches of the olive tree. And I'm referring to the illustration in Romans chapter 11 that talks about having been grafted into the tree of blessing by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Romans 11 verse 11, But through their trespass, referring to the Jews, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Does this mean that the new covenant with Israel and Judah has already been made and Gentiles are beneficiaries of it? Or will there be a new covenant made with Israel and Judah in the future? We'll get into that in our next program tomorrow. I'll be here, and I hope you'll join me. For more than 20 years, the Radio Bible Course has offered Bible-related materials to help our listeners. We are pleased to send them without cost. And we give thanks to God for His people who help support this ministry. Now available from the Radio Bible Course is a booklet on grace, another on heaven's password, and our Bible teaching memory program. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.